0: You know, it's interesting, the pastor talked about the spiral upward this morning, and I told him I had a sermon, it's about the spiral downward. (laughs) It's why failure is necessary. And uh, literally, I'll talk about the downward spiral because of failure. And I thought, you know, God has a way of putting that stuff together. And um, so we're going to read out of two uh, two chapters here, but I'm going to just focus on Matthew chapter 26 and verse 33. Oh, everybody turns there. I'll read this and have a word of prayer, and then God give you something tonight that'll help you. Certainly that's been my prayer all week as I've bathed this thing in prayer. And Why failure is necessary. In Matthew 26, verse 33, we read, Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men should be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Man, those are words I'd be careful of. You ever heard the word never say never? Well, there it is. Never be offended. In Luke chapter 22, verse 33, um, the scripture tells us as the Lord is preparing his disciples uh, for his betrayal, his arrest, his betrayal, and his crucifixion, Peter, being the leader, spoke these words and said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and into death. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, I believe your word. I believe every word that you have written. I know the promise that your word will never return void is true. Lord, I, I pray for tonight that you would take your word and you would use it in a way to minister each and every soul that's present. And may God, You may you help them to whatever it is that is said tonight from the scriptures, may it help them grow closer to you and may you get all the glory and honor, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Shortly after, the, after Peter spoke these words, we all know that he would deny the Lord not once, but three times. Peter's failure was of monumental proportions, and yet it's recorded for our learning and for our comfort. Peter failed because, like so many of us, he depended on his own strength and his own power to do the things of God, and you know, if you remember, just hours before all this transition, this happened. Jesus told his disciples, "He said, ye can do nothing without me.'" But none of them understood that, and Peter, being the leader, clearly did not understand that. If you want to fail, just do something for God without depending on Him. That's how you fail. And Peter's failure was monumental. The Bible tells us that he denied the Lord and he wept bitterly. Afterward, he denied the Lord. He wept bitterly. I mean, he loved the Lord. There's no question about his sincerity, but he was broken with deep sorrow for what he had done. And Peter had failed, had to fail, and he had to fail in a big way for God to make him realize how weak he really is without God. Our failures are often as a result of us God's showing us how much we need him and how much we need to depend on him. Now, the beauty about this failure and any failure is that we learn in the scriptures from Romans chapter 5, verse 20, that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Where our failures take place, God's grace can be greater than our failures and our sins. I like to refer to, as pastor talked about the upward spiral, and I'm talking a little bit about the downward spiral, failure. It's like the uh, the whole concept of there must be a root first before there's fruit. Root before fruit. That's about as good as you to (laughs) man. Now, sin abounded here, we see from Peter's denial, but grace will much more abound. And you know what God did for Peter after this? He picked that old boy up, he cleaned him up, and he became one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. But that was a monumental failure, but yet he became one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. I mean, it was God that chose Peter to preach the first sermon in Pentecost. It was God who would choose Peter to preach the gospel, to introduce the gospel to the Gentiles and the keys to the kingdom. It was God who would choose Peter to be the leader of those believers in Jerusalem. It was God who would choose Peter to write two epistles in the word of God. And so despite all of Peter's failures, stacked upon failures, God used that old boy to do something for him. And to this day, we're still talking about Peter. So God can take your failures and your sins and and pour grace upon it and make great things out of it. But failure has to happen sometimes. Far too often, we push ourselves to be spiritually successful for God without understanding the potential or even the need to fail. We've grown up in a society with a culture that teaches us that failure is for losers. That if you fail, you're a loser. And that failure, some of our dads taught us, failure is not an option. Failure is not an option. But it is, it happens. And we experience failure sometimes in our life as as we become somewhat perfectionist, thinking we can't fail. And then when we actually experience failure in our life, we're devastated, we're defeated, we're depressed. And what happens, we take ourselves out of the game plan of God. We put ourselves on the sideline because of our failure and we stop doing the will of God. Too often, too many Christians end up in this boat. We fall for the lie that our failure is too big and too much for God to overcome. But I read where where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. We let failure beat us up, take us down and rob us. And I mean, rob us of God's purpose in our life. And yet we don't understand failure is one of the greatest tools that God uses to mature us. He lets failure happen so he can grow you and teach you to depend on him because naturally you will not depend on God. It's not your natural state, your selfish state to depend on you and not God. So God uses the tool of failure to get us to depend on him. But Satan also uses it as a weapon against us when we fail. And we start to believe the lie that our failure is too too great and too much for God to use us anymore. Paul said it best in Romans 7, 19. He said, for the good that I would, I do not. But for the evil which I would not, that I do. Let me put those in simple terms. I want to do good, and that's what I don't do. And the the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. So the greatest Christian who ever lived, who penned these words through the Spirit of God, is telling us, he too failed. He struggled with self. He realized when he depended on self, he couldn't do the good. He'd do the bad. So he too, like all of us, had to experience failure for God to mature him and to mature us. Now Hebrews chapter twelve, verse five through eleven. Most of you are familiar with that passage. Those passages on chastening of the Lord, and we've often heard that God. We use those passages to ch- as if God chastens. This, the, the, the believer, the child of God, for when he's in sin. And that's true, but that's a half-truth. Hebrews chapter 12 is not just talking about doing wrong and getting punished for it by, like a child. God's talking about it in the sense that you could be doing right, you could be living for the Lord, you could love the Lord with all your heart, doing all the right things, kind of like Peter, and still be chastened of the Lord. We get this, sometimes we get this stuff mixed up and then we create all kinds of problems for ourselves. Well, if, if we believe it's only for punishment, then when, I, when something bad happens or a failure, we think God's mad at us. Now, sometimes he is, but most of the he's just teaching us, he's maturing us. No matter what, he's still maturing us. So if we read it, it says, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. We know that. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised, trained by it. In other words, it produces fruit. We got the root, we go down, we get hurt, but God's producing a root in us so that we can bear fruit. So we learn to train, we're trained by it, we're exercising it. And God uses that to bear fruit. Now, verse 12 is what's really profound in that chapter, A lot of people talk about the chastening, but what they're not talking about is verses 12 and 13. He says, wherefore, in light of what I just said about chastening, lift up your hands which hang down. So the chastening of the Lord has taken this, knowing the potential that believers hang down their hands, that is they're defeated. Oh me, oh my type of mindset. And then he says, and feeble knees, they're weak, they can barely walk. And he says, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which be lamed be turned out of the way rather than rather it be healed. In other words, we can take ourselves out of the will of God and give up on God because of our failures. Now, God forbid that should happen in any believer's life. They've misunderstood something here because the Bible says if God be for us, who can be against us? Let me put this in a more personal way. If God be for you, Who can be against you? We hear that. Do we really believe it? Well, I feel like my failure preacher is so bad that God would never use me again. Stop it. Stop it. I'm going to prove to you tonight through the scriptures that even the greatest men of God that we, we elevate as heroes of the faith failed miserably. And yet God, despite their failures, used them In every way you can imagine. Why? Because where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now, you're going to experience failure at various stages in life. How's that for positive preaching? And it does not discriminate. Age. You can be old and still have a lot of failure coming. You think, well, just young folks are the ones who because they have the most to lose and the most they're 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 experiencing life. I get that. But but the older you get doesn't mean you're exempt from failure. So God does not discriminate in this area. You're gonna experience failure at various stages in life. It's absolutely necessary to fail to grow in the grace of God. It has to happen. No one here is aiming to fail. I mean, we don't go out and say, man, I hope I fail today and learn something from God. And we certainly don't tell our children when they're going out the door, like, hey, kid, you need to fail today so you can learn something from God. That's not what I'm talking about. But we gotta realize, no matter how much success we desire for God and, and, and the drive to serve God and love God, we're gonna experience failure somewhere at some point and at different times. Take Pastor Bill. His failures are on display for all of us to see, hear, and enjoy at times. He'd be the first one to tell you, by the way, or at least Kathy would, that he's failed to say the right thing at the right time. Now, those of you who have been around for a while know this to, all, to be very true. I mean, he's a public figure. He's speaking all the time. You can expect he's going to say things it's just, I don't he comes, he says things out of his mouth They just go, Dilingo. goes, did he say that? I said, yes, he did. He said that. <laughs> Do I have an amen? <laughs> Pastors like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> but because of those minute failures and the criticisms that come with it and the hurt that comes knowing that people talk behind your back, As a public speaker and a preacher, and people don't always like what you say and all the things, those are failures that hurt. But did that ever stop our preacher from preaching and teaching the Word of God? For 42 years, he's stuck by it. If there's ever an example, he'll admit, I've failed, I've failed multiple times in multiple areas, but he's still here preaching the Word of God. Because where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. My boss, previous boss, um, that I worked for in the company I did was um, in front of a group of people. It' was a milestone event. It was in the, in the round. There about 12,000 people in that Coliseum that night. I was in the front row, along with a bunch of other corporate big wigs, execs, whatever. and there's, you can see all the screens that you know, one thing that you learn when you get in front of that size of an audience is you don't get off script. Now here, it's different. Preaching's a little different. But there, you, you, you got to stick to the script. it get real dangerous real fast. You could say something and get you in trouble legally, all kinds of things. So you got to stick to the script. And he knew that. He was in front of these folks, 12,000 of them, and he was firing them up. He, but I could tell he was getting off script. Boy, he's getting off script. I, I could see the, the, you know, what he's saying and what the script is saying. And I'll never forget it. He got to this point, he said, There's two things that keep me up at night. He's talking to business people. He said complacency. You can see he lost his train of thought for a second. He goes, oh, and my wife's menopause. 12,000 people. Now, his son was in the audience. He's texting his mom saying, you're not going to believe what dad just said about you. That was a monumental failure for him because what do you think everybody talked about when that was over? That's all he said, can you believe he said what he said? They didn't hear the rest of it. And that's what failure can do. But failure for some people like that can take them out of the arena for God, period. Like I don't ever want to experience that again, I'm just not gonna do that. And some of you may not be doing anything for God because you have failed and you don't want to fail again. But God's using that failure to grow you. Our failure sometimes is because we make really bad decisions. Oh, yeah, amen. And our failure is sometimes due to immaturity, young and dumb, they say. When I was young and dumb, I made some of the worst decisions in my life. But I still can make them today. Sometimes our failure is misunderstanding of a subject matter. Just we get it wrong in the scriptures. We're a little twisted about it, and we get it wrong And it hurts us. And sometimes failure is just flat-out disobedience and rebellion to God. I'm going to do it my way. But sometimes, you know what God does? He gives us what we want. This is a slippery slope, and boy, oh boy, can it lead to failure. Um, You've heard of the the, the old saying, be careful what you wish for, because you might get it, is truer than you think. Sometimes we sit there with God, God, I have to have this, and God, I have to have that, and God, I want this, and I want that. It's me, 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 me. Remember, when you heard Peter talking about, notice the eyes in his. I will never be offended. I will never. I will. That's the self, the carnal self. Well, sometimes we get like that with God. We just want this. We want that. Got to have it. That could be a slippery slope, and sometimes God just gives us what we want. Why? Because he's about to teach us a lesson. So how's that working out for you right now? Sometimes the repercussions from our failure to trust God because we want something so bad that it can stick around with us for years. My two daughters desperately wanted a dog when they were young, when I was here actually, and um, I I just refused. I had a full-sized Doberman one time. I've been there, done that, don't want to do it again. And, you know, I just told them, no, I'm not doing it. So I bought birds, I bought fish. I mean, I mean, th- that's a story in and of itself. And I said, the only way I'm going to fix this, I'm just going to take them down to the pet store every week, and I'm going to make them happy for about 12 minutes, 15 minutes, and we're going to go back home. We did this for about three weeks. Well, the third week, we, we, we fell in love with this one dog that was sitting there. No one would take this dog. This dog was a little... A miniature pincher. So I had a full-size Doberman. Now I, I'm looking at this little one and I'm thinking to myself, well, little has got to be easier. E- I mean, come on, little. I mean, uh, how bad can it be? Brother, you have no idea. Little does not mean easy in dogs. Anybody has a little dog, they can be vicious, they can be Napoleonic, and they're, they think they own the world. Well, anyways, my kid's Desperately begged me, and I finally said, Well, I asked for what's the price on the dog. He said, A thousand bucks. I was like, Well, I'm not paying a thousand bucks. He goes, well, Let me go talk to my manager. He comes back, and the dog's, he goes, I'll give it to you for 300. Now, right there should have been a red flag, right there, a 70% discount. But man, my kids wanted that dog, and I started to want I really did want it, and I was holding back. I was like, Man, now, now I'm in love with this little dog, this little nutcase, as it turns out to be. So I, so I, uh, I buy the dog. They should have paid me, by the way, for that dog, but I paid them. We took that dog home, and that dog barked incessantly. And, I mean, he bit everybody that came through the door. He was a vicious dog. Fifteen years of that. That, didn't, that never ended. I put a bark collar on that dog to stop it from barking, and it shocked him every time, right? I thought for sure that would shut this thing up. He'd be like this, and... And one day I was like, "He's not shutting up. I go over there, that bar- bark collar burned two holes in his neck and never stopped. Now I know Peter would have me arrested for that, but he's dead and gone, so there's, no not going to happen, but I'm telling you what. The reality is that dog was 15 years of barking, biting, uh, uh, pooing everywhere. You name it. He, he was one of those dogs. Now, remember, got to have it. Bad decision. Remember, keep that in mind. That failure was living with me. So the day came, I had to put the dog to sleep. It was a sad day in the way home. <laughs> if you believe that. Well, for my daughter, it was because she made a chain for the dog, special chain. So I put it on the dog. I had a little coffin. and put the dog to sleep. I'm the guy that's out in the backyard digging the four-foot hole. I'm putting the dog in. You know, the kid said, you know, my daughter said, Hey, make sure, Dad, I have the chain, you know, that I made for for little MJ. I said, No problem. Well, the next day goes by, that dog's buried and gone. And she calls me and says, Dad, where's the chain? Oh, I left it on the dog. I left that chain on that dog. You know what I had to do? I had to dig that dog up. This is no joke. I'm telling, God's honest truth. I dug that chain, and you know what happens after a day. mortis sets in. That dog was stiff and large, and I'm trying to take that chain off his neck. 30 minutes to get that chain off, and I'm not joking when I tell you he had a smile on his face the whole time. (laughs) God was teaching me about failure. (laughs) Brother, when you make a bad decision, it might live with you for a long time. But hey, we're... Sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I hope my kid does not listen to this story. man. (laughs) This book is littered with the failures of men and the grace of God. You know what I love about this book? It's honest. It's honest as the day is bright. God gave us the record of men he loved and men who loved him who failed miserably. That's the honesty of this book. God doesn't hold back, even those that were great men of God, like Abraham, Moses, David, and the list goes on. So when we talk about failures of tsunami proportions, what better place to start than Adam and Eve? I mean, this is it. They had it all, but for whatever reason, they wanted more. I never understood that. They had everything. Some, but, they wanted something more, something more than what God allowed. Isn't that what sin is? God creates those boundaries. He gives you what you need. He's taking care of you. He gives you the boundaries. But we want to go outside those boundaries of what God gives. That's really what sin is. It's going outside what God gives you because you want something better. Well, they, they were baited by Satan into thinking there was something better. They took it, and they plunged the entire world. To this day, we struggle because of their one decision and they plunged into their failure. Their sin destroyed mankind. But yet I read, what did God do? Now I know what I would do. <laughs> and I know what you do. I would have wiped those ingrates right off the face of the earth. And I'd have started right over. Why didn't God start all over, man? It always it doesn't baffle me anymore. I know why. But I but I tell you, I'd, I'd have started over, but he didn't. You know what he did? He looked at that mess. He said, I'm going to go down there and clean it up for him. He didn't have to, but he chose to. I mean, they're trying to cover themselves with their, they were, they were the first religion born, covering themselves with fig leaves. They had a bloodless sacrifice. God said, What a mess you just keep digging yourselves deeper into a hole. They they accused God. They they he uh, Adam accused his wife of, of taking the bait. And it's just all this mess going on. God says, He overlooked all that. And he said, I got a sacrifice for you, and it's a blood sacrifice, and now I'll make coats of skin and I will cover you. And God cleaned it up and fixed it up. The greatest failure we could ever read in scripture, and God cleaned it up. Don't ever think God can't clean your failures up. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That is the greatest example we can think of, of. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Right there in the garden, that was amplified. Next in line for failure is Abraham. Now, Abram's the name, when we read this in Genesis chapter 12... Now, I don't want to do, be too hard on this fellow, given the most likely we're guilty of the same thing often. But the beauty of this story is Abraham has been called out of God. He's God's friend. He, uh, he worships God. And you know how he, I know he worships? He builds an altar. And he builds it on the Mount of Bethel, which is the house of God. And he worships God. And he's fellowshiping with God. That's a picture of fellowship. But soon after that, a famine hits. You ever notice that? Man, victory, success, fellowship with God, boom, here comes the test. Now, God's gonna let this fellow fail. He didn't have to, and I'll show you later, he doesn't. He intervenes. But so, Abram, Abraham, Abraham uh, finds out there's a famine. He's got a household, you know, he's gotta, I gotta take care of my house. He's thinking, you know, I gotta take care of me, I gotta take care of my house. What's he do? He starts heading south. What he does is he heads south down. It's interesting. Every time you read about sin and failure, it's down. Every single time. It's a downward movement, but God allows it. And he's going down into Egypt, the wrong place. Why didn't he just sit back and say, God, you've taken care of me up to here. There's a famine. Can you take care of me and show me where I got to go? But he didn't. He heads south, and you know why I know he's in trouble? Because when he gets down there, he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. He said, they're going to kill me if they find out you're my wife. So now he starts scheming, right? That's what sin does. This failure starts to lead up. To, oh, man, listen, gotta put the household together. Everybody's got to lie for me. This is my sister, not my wife, because I don't want to die in this thing. He's protecting his own hide. He gets down there, and life seems to be going okay, and then little Pharaoh starts to eye on his wife. Now, God's not going to have anything to do with that. He's not going to touch her because God does not want that seed corrupted. So he protects and he intervenes. God intervenes because of his failure, Abram's failure. God intervenes and says, Pharaoh, you touch her. Well, he doesn't say it, but we know what he does. He plagues the whole house. It's basically, I'm going to kill you if you touch her. And then Pharaoh goes to Abram hey, and wait, wait a minute now, you lie to me. Take your stuff, get yourself packing, and go. So it takes God to intervene to get Pharaoh out of Egypt. Egypt's the type of the world, always has, always will be. It's a place where no child of God belongs. And so that's where he was. That's not where he was fellowship. Not one time do we read he built an altar, fellowship with God. No fellowship with God. Now God says, okay, I'm pulling you out. And then this is the beauty about it. In Genesis 13, verse 1, it says, and Abram went up out of Egypt, him and his household. And you know what happens following that verse? He's back at the altar fellowshipping and worshiping with God. He failed God. He ends up lying, cheating, all that stuff. And then God pulls him out of that mess where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Even men like Abraham failed. And that wasn't the first and only time, but that's the only time we'll talk about it tonight. Have you ever noticed sin is always that downward movement? It's never up. Just like I said, Abraham went down and God brought him up. Now, you talk about depression. Depression's a real thing, I get it. People have depressing thoughts for different reasons. And depression, really, the beginning of depression for a lot of people is caused by traumatic events or something very negative. has happened in their life. And what happens is they can't stop thinking about it. Pastor talked about thinking about the positive, the true and honest and just. Well, what happens is people talk. Look, they start thinking and dwelling on the opposite over and over and over, and they can't. I'm dealing with a neighbor who lost his son two weeks ago from a drunk driver hit him on the road and killed him. They have no hope, nothing. They have no. They don't know Christ, and and every day, every day is just this thought. He can't get it off his mind. And you can see the anger and the bitterness building and building. And that's that's what depression can get. It can take a person and begin to pull them down and pull the spiraled, spirally downward, and they can never get off. And next thing you know, they need all kinds of help. Now, I'm going to say this without, and I'm not giving medical advice or anything, but the real problem for depression is a spiritual problem. It's not a body and soul. It is a spiritual problem that needs to be dealt with spiritual weapons. And God has the answer through the cross. But that's just all I'm going to say about the simplification. But I want you to understand, depression is a thought process. The opposite of what Pastor talked about, that's on the negative, and you can't get your mind off it. And you just, your mind just goes in the wrong places all the time. And that's what sin is. It's down. Failure can cause that if we're not careful. When, now, the next in line for failure is Moses. Now, you remember, I mean, Moses now is getting to the end of his life and the end of uh, leading uh, Israel through the wilderness. And he's just about had it as a leader with these folks. I mean, they just, they're just rebellious, whiners, complainers about everything. And he, he's had enough. Uh, you remember, though, he had a little problem with anger. He murdered somebody early on in his life. Now, here we are toward the end of his life. Now, he's the meekest man on the face of the earth, the Bible says. I mean, he's, we get that. But he also had a problem with anger. So God, if you remember originally, when they came out of the wilderness the first time, he said, strike the rock, take the rod, hit the rock. That rock was Christ. Smiting that rock was a picture of the crucifixion because out flowed water, which is a picture of flowing the Holy Spirit to people. Now the second time, toward the end, when they're getting ready to leave the wilderness, he says, Moses, your people, I know the people are thirsty, speak to the rock. You know why? Because the first time, was a picture of the crucifixion, and Christ is only crucified one time. The second time, he said, speak to the rock and the water flows. You don't need to strike it again. What did Moses do? Because he's angry with his people and the rage is building up, he not only hits that rock once, but he hits it a second time. You know what God says? Come over here, buddy. I got something to tell you. For that, you're not going into the promised land. What? All that he did for God... And God said, you're not going into the promised land? Seems pretty harsh to me. He failed. He failed God, and God said, these are the consequences. But you ever know why he didn't go into the promised land? We wouldn't really understand until we read John chapter 1. Moses was the giver of the law. What does that mean? Moses represented the law. And there's one thing God wasn't going to allow, is the law going into the promised land. Because the law will never take you to the promised land. Only Jesus Christ, who is by grace, will take you into the promised land. John chapter 1. And so for that, Peter or, or while Moses doesn't even know this and understand this yet, he's been, he's been a failed in this end of his, toward his ministry, but not really. Because you know what happens? We read next that he, this is fascinating, God ends up burying Moses up in the mount all by himself. Did you know that? You know what's fascinating about that? How would you like God to conduct your funeral service? And he conducted Moses. Not only that, but Moses is at the right hand of Christ in the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses is that witness, the two witnesses that are by Christ. Moses is one of them. So yes, he couldn't go into the physical promised land, but God gave him something much better, an eternity with him. So no matter what how failure is and what God says you can't do or you're not going to get this, that's a temporal thing. God's trying to get you to focus on something that is eternal. And in the case of Moses, it was eternal. Time will not permit, unfortunately, We could talk about David, a man after God's own heart, who committed adultery and murder, hiding it from God, only for us to now talk about it 3,000 years later. But did you ever notice when you get to the New Testament, God never says one bad thing about David? We talk about it all the time from the pulpits. David, you know, was idle. David committed uh, adultery. David murdered a man. David counted the people. We go on and on about David's sin, but not God. Not one time in the New Testament does God say he sinned. In fact, what you read in Acts 13 is the sure mercies of David. I will give you the sure mercies of David. Why is that? Because the grace of God is greater than our sin and failures. God overlooks it. Our sins are as far as the east is from the west. So many folks just misunderstand when they run from God, they go down. They go down. We started with Peter. So let's conclude with Peter. He was viewed as a leader of the disciples, the most outspoken, certainly. He was the one in the midst of the storm on the boat, was the one willing to get out of the boat and walk with Christ. But it didn't take long for him to start uh, drowning in the water because he took his eyes off the Lord and got consumed with the storm itself instead instead of the Christ who was helping him walk on the water. So yes, he got he failed in that sense, but at least he got out of the boat. You're not going to fail if you don't get out of the boat. I think you've already failed if you don't get out of the boat. That's how I see it. That's to see it from my life. But Peter, uh, when it, Jesus says, "Hey, whom do men say that I am?" and Jesus and Peter says, "Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God," and, Peter, and Jesus says, "My Father's revealed that to you." Moments later. Jesus is talking about getting betrayal, the crucifixion, and guess what? Peter tries to stop him. And Jesus says, get behind thee, Satan. Failure again. And we we started off with the failure. I'm going to die for you, Lord. And there he is in front of an old maid and strangers. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. How can that be? That failure was so monumental, so deep, but Peter went, went out and wept, knowing he loved the Lord, but he had failed him miserably. But God wasn't finished. Because in John chapter 21, here we'll conclude on this. Peter's gone, the Bible says he's gone a fishing. He went right back to where he started. There he is on that boat, and he sees the Lord on the, on the shore. He's the first one out of the boat again. He swims as fast as he can to the shore to see the one he loved and the one who loved him. And there they are by the fire fellowshipping with the food. And what does Jesus say? Peter, do you love me? And what is Peter's response? Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And then he says, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Well, you know I love you, Lord. Then feed my lambs. And a third time. Why? Because Peter denied him three times. This is a general rebuke by our Savior. I want you to remember your failure, Peter, because I know you love me, but now you love me. Do something for me. Feed my sheep. God overlooked all that. He didn't beat them up. He didn't say, I can't use you anymore. You're no good. He said, Peter, feed my sheep. Do something for me. Because where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads in prayer. I have the folks come up for the music. How about you, Christian? Are you letting your failures pile pile up to the place that you aren't willing to do something for God anymore? Don't believe the lie. Let God help you get back on the path that he purposed for your life. God's putting your failures behind you. Now, how how about you? Because where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Well, maybe you're here tonight, and your sin and failures are such a weight, so great that you have no idea how to deal with it. Well, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. The Lord has promised rest for those that are willing to cast their sin upon him, the one who died for their sins, was buried and rose again. If you're willing to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, believing in his death, burial, and resurrection, he will give you rest from your failures. May God help us tonight. Father, we thank you, Lord, for these wonderful truths that while we fail, we know that, God, you're, you're willing and able to help us get, pick us back up and to get on and to do the work that you have purpose for us, whether it be great or small, It's still important to you. May God you help each and every one to walk away here having helped, been helped with the word of God and that you'll be glorified in all this. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239- Nine four seven one two eight five. Thank you, and God bless.